the reading today is from Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 to 31. You'll find that in pages 1171 of your Bibles. I'll give you a moment to find it. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For what is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. We start to look at this passage. Let's ask for God's help. Father, thank you so much that you are our rock and our redeemer. Thank you that in the Lord Jesus we are forgiven, cleansed, purified in him. We pray, Father, as we think on these things now, that you would give us absolute confidence in his finished work. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. People love talking about their fears, don't they? Uh, Perhaps it's a fear of heights. Perhaps it's a fear of public speaking. I share both of those. Or perhaps uh, something like a fear of spiders. But there's one fear I think everyone I meet shares. There's one fear that affects us day by day, and there's one fear that I think British people particularly fear more than any other country, and it's this, the fear of making a fuss. We hate making a fuss, don't we? To give you an example, I went for a meal uh, a while back with four friends, uh, three friends rather. One of them happened to be Australian, and um, the meal wasn't great, it was kind of passable, But it came to that point in the meal where the waitress came over and said, is everything okay with your meal? Everyone knows the answer you're meant to give at that point. It's brilliant, thank you. It's the best meal I've ever had. But my Australian friend didn't get the memo. And he said to the waitress, look at the salad, and started to point out all the dry bits, all the brown bits, and uh, complained about the dinner. And the three of us just stood there, uh, sat there rather, just wanting to die. Because... (laughs) He didn't get the memo. You're never, ever meant to cause a fuss. I don't know how you feel about what we've been hearing in this book of Galatians. See, Paul said very clearly, hasn't he, that there is only one way to salvation. It is not through us, it is not through our doing of the law, but it is through the Lord Jesus doing everything for us. 
But maybe we're asking that question, is, there, is this worth all the fuss? Okay, we get Jesus is important, and we get that it's important to understand him, but do we need to be so particular like the Apostle Paul about how we relate to him? And does it make any actual difference on Monday morning whether I think this about Jesus or something else? But our passage this evening shows us why a fuss is absolutely necessary. Or putting it more positively, why that message that God saves his people through the Lord Jesus alone should be the defining truth of our lives and something we defend day by day. Why is that? Well, we're going to see, I think, why is that? Because achieving what should be received is slavery. Because receiving what Christ achieved is freedom, and because receiving what Christ achieved is, in fact, the gospel. That first point, then, because achieving what should be received is actually slavery. See, why does it matter so much how we relate to God? So what if people want to relate to him in a different way? What, so what if people use religious rituals or insist on spiritual experiences or even add rules to their faith? Well, it matters because Paul says it is the path to slavery. See, Paul has one final weapon in his arsenal when it comes to these teachers in Galatia. He goes back to Abraham again and where it all started. Have a look at verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. See, Paul says, remember Abraham. Let's go back to him. Uh, Remember the top trumps we saw a few weeks ago? We said that if Abraham was a top trumps card, and someone did send me after the service, some um, Old Testament top trumps, which is pretty cool. Um, He would get a max score on being blessed by God because God had promised to bless the world through Abraham. But the thing is, if there was a category for number of children, he would get a big fat zero because actually as much as God planned to bless the world through Abraham, it didn't look possible And not only that, Abraham and his wife, when God made that promise, were 80 years old. They're collecting their pension. And so God's promise to bless the world just looked nigh on impossible. And maybe those promises that God makes to us today feel similar. We're promised, aren't we, in Galatians, that we're adopted, that we're forgiven, that we're loved in the Lord Jesus. But it can feel that those things don't seem very possible when we look at our failures or look at our browsing history or look at the turbulence of our home life or look at just the impossibility of these promises from the human perspective. But what Abraham and Sarah did next is absolutely fascinating because they didn't give up on God's promise, but nor did they trust it. See, instead, they decided to do it themselves. Uh, over the weekend, I was putting together um, most of Ikea's stock of flat pack furniture, and um, it's great. It's like grown-up Lego. It's pretty cool. Um, but as I was doing it, my son came over, my two-year-old son came over with his um, toy drill 
got the screws out of the box and started to put them in uh, the furniture with his toy drill. And it's a very cute moment. We got the camera out and uh, made a film of it and all that. But if I'm honest, and please don't tell him this, it didn't really help me. Okay, he tried his best, but it didn't help. And there's something of that going on here in what Abraham and Sarah do next. See, they respond to God's promise, not just by trusting, but by trying to help God out. Let me see if I can get the verse before you. No, I can't. But let me read it to us. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had bore him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar, And so she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with her, my slave, and perhaps I could build a family through her. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. And so he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. See, notice this. It's not that they ignored God's promise. They just go about it a different way. See, God had promised to Abraham and Sarah that through their children, the world would be blessed. But Sarah had other ideas and got Abraham to sleep with Hagar, the slave uh, in their household. And she bore a son, Ishmael. He was also a slave. See, it was like they were giving God a helping hand. You say, God, that you want to bless the world through my children. Well, here's a child. And you might think, what's wrong with that? Isn't it a bit like the toy drill? Well, it's cute, isn't it, with a toy drill? But actually, Paul points out that it's not cute at all when it comes to how we respond to God. See, verse 23, Paul says, His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. That is Hagar. Now, maybe... There's a lot going on in that verse, admittedly. But here's essentially what Paul is saying. That actually, if we choose to go a different way, to go our own way, actually, you always get slavery. Going back to Abraham and Hagar, what what happened? Well, Hagar um, and Abraham had a child. But actually, Ishmael didn't change things. He was still outside God's people. He was still a slave. Now, God looked after him. Uh, But the point Paul makes is that he's still a slave. And actually, Paul says there's a parallel here for us as Christians. See, we have promises in Jesus. But actually, the church in Galatia is making the mistake of going to law and circumcision. And Paul says, what's the result when you try and do things yourself? Well, it's slavery. Every single time. It's slavery with Abraham. And it's slavery again with us. See... Whenever we try to get what God promises under our own steam, slavery is the result. See, perhaps we don't feel very close to God, and so someone says to us, you need some super spiritual experience, some moment you can look back on and think that's the moment where God's Spirit really did a work in me. Then you'll be close to God. And that spiritual experience comes, but then it might go. And so you find yourself chasing the next spiritual experience to feel closer to God. See, rather than trust the promise that we are close to God in Jesus, see, actually we can be enslaved by that desire to get it somewhere else. 
Or perhaps we don't feel like our sins are forgiven. We're burdened by our history. And so we feel that we need a special priest to hear our confession. Or, or I don't know if you do this, but you kind of make a bargain with yourselves and think, well, I'll, I'll just have a week where I'm doing the right thing and then God will be happy with me. But you know how that turns out. Things go south. And so we feel enslaved by that desire to, to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. See, any time we take God's promise and try and achieve it ourselves, slavery is the result. And you can see why this is important, can't you? You can see why this is worth making a fuss about. Because it's not just my way and someone else has their way of approaching God or some, way, um, some might have a different view of things. Actually, unless it's grounded in the Lord Jesus, it looks very, very different. But Paul doesn't just give us the negative. He goes on uh, to tell us the positive, to see what we gain uh, by trust in Jesus. Uh, we see here, secondly, that because receiving in Christ, what Christ has achieved equals freedom. I don't know about you, but living by faith is quite hard, isn't it? Because actually, it feels like things aren't very tangible. Remember, when I was back at uni, I was a young Christian. Uh, I went off to this big student conference with thousands of people, and I was booked into a hotel, a triple room, with a Muslim student and a Jewish student. Uh, it sounds like the start of a joke, but it's not a joke. Um, we, uh, it was great, we got to know each other, uh, but it was interesting because the Muslim guy was uh, very devout, and at uh, certain times of the day, he went off to the bathroom, he took his shoes and socks off, washed his feet, got out his prayer mat and started praying. And I went down to dinner with the Jewish person, and he uh, talked about the menu and talked about having kosher food. And I remember feeling as a young Christian, that's not fair. I want a prayer mat. I want kosher food. I want a special diet. Because it just seemed like faith doesn't cut it. Here's me trusting Jesus, and it, it feels like nothing tangible has happened. But Paul shows us actually faith changes everything because it is the way to freedom. See, 15 years after God made this promise to Abraham, God finally delivered. And here's what we read in Genesis chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. And so here's what happened. Abraham tried to force the promise by Hagar, and God says, no, that was not the way. But then 15 years later, Isaac was born, and the promise was fulfilled, which is the way. See, it seems so impossible that God could do this. I saw people getting a bit grossed out when I mentioned that Abraham and Sarah were claiming a pension at the time. But they were shocked as much as we are by it. Abraham said it's impossible. And so much so that they named Isaac, Isaac, because it means he laughs. It's like calling your kid, you're having a laugh. I mean, do consider that if you're thinking of naming a child any point soon. But then God delivered on his promise. See, God delivered what was seemingly impossible. 
And I wonder if you can imagine how Abraham and Sarah felt after that point, after seeing God fulfill his word. So you see a very different Abraham before and after Isaac is born. You can imagine how embarrassed they are by the whole Hagar thing every time they named Isaac. But God's, uh, Paul says that is how we should feel when we look at what God has done. See, God has done the impossible again. Um, have a look at verse 27. Here, Paul quotes from the Old Testament. He says, For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than her, of her who has a husband. Now, when you first look at that, you think, is he talking about Sarah and Abraham here? But then you'll notice that actually in the footnote, this is from the book of Isaiah, which is centuries after Genesis was written. And in fact, he's writing here, not about a woman or a a man, but about a nation, a people. See, at this point, God's people are completely decimated. There's a few thousand left, but effectively they're, they're in a refugee camp. And God makes this incredible promise that one day you will be more people than you can imagine. See, it's like what happened with Sarah and Abraham would happen again with Israel. See, they looked like they had no hope, exactly like Sarah, but God delivered. And Paul says, actually, the same is true for us now. It might look like we have no hope, but we can be absolutely sure that we are a new people. Uh, Why is that? Well, because there was another child that was born to a childless woman. And that child grew up, and he looked like a failure. It started so well, but then it ended so early, as he was crucified in a shameful death with every single one of his followers evaporating. But remember then, there was Easter Sunday. The stone was rolled away, and at that point, Jesus was raised, and he rose to new life, and in himself built a new people where ethnicity, background, IQ doesn't count, but who we are in him. See, the point is we don't need the kind of tangible sign because everything has already been done. We don't need the special thing that's going to show us we're close to God, because we are already close to God the moment we trust in the Lord Jesus. And so perhaps we get caught in that cycle, thinking, I need to do this next thing, I need to sort myself out. But actually, as we look at the Lord Jesus and what he has done already, we can be absolutely convinced that we are free in him. Again, coming back to the fuss at the beginning that we all hate, this is why the fuss is necessary, isn't it? Because if we don't get this right, we've not understood the wonder of what the Christian life is about. See, it's not a message that says, pull up your bootstraps or try and sort your life out. It is the news that God has done everything in the Lord Jesus to bring us to himself. The fuss is necessary, but what about us? Well, thirdly and finally, and more briefly, because receiving what Christ achieved is the gospel. 
Okay, we might say, we've got the point that actually Jesus is important, it's by uh, faith in him alone. But do we need to follow Paul in taking this as seriously as he does? Well, Paul says yes, because the success of the gospel depends on it. Have a look at that Isaiah quote, um, the second half of it again, uh, where he says, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. See, notice what he's saying there is that actually the one who wasn't able to have children is going to have far more children. And that's exactly what you see, isn't it? When you go back to Sarah, even though it looked impossible, she ended up having many children and the Lord Jesus. In other words, Paul's saying, look, it is the root of promise. It is by trusting in God that there will be more children, there will be more fruit. And the flip side, trusting in ourselves, trying to achieve things ourselves, is going to be a dead end. See, notice here that Paul is not just trying to win a personal battle here. It's not that Paul enjoys ruffling feathers for the sake of it. No, he knows that this truth, that God has done everything in the Lord Jesus already, is the way the gospel will go out and the church be built up. See, what's this mean for us? Well, I guess there's an application here, isn't there? If we're trusting in anything other than Jesus, well, don't do that. Because actually, Paul says that will result in slavery. And there'll be many of us, I'm sure, who have experienced that. And perhaps if we've, we're tempted to drift and think that Jesus is not enough, I need the super spiritual experience, or I need the religious experience to feel close to God. Well, again, there's a reminder here, isn't there, that we have everything already. But I'm guessing for most of us, we're already kind of trusting Jesus. We're already confident that he has done everything. What are we to do with this? Well, Paul goes back to Genesis for one last visit. See, back in Genesis, um, Abraham threw a first birthday uh, for Isaac, but it was a sad birthday because his older brother mocked him. Sarah saw, this is what Genesis 21 says, Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. And Paul says that pattern, that rivalry has repeated itself in verse 29. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. Verse 30, but what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share the inheritance with a free woman's son. Without getting into detail, Sarah basically asks Abraham to send Hagar and Ishmael off, and he agrees, and, and God looks out for them. But the point is, they were separate from the promise, and because of that, they were antagonistic. Uh, he was antagonistic uh, to his younger brother. And Paul's point is that whenever we declare that truth that God has done everything in Jesus, actually opposition will result. If you think about it, it is a great message, isn't it? But it is also an offensive message. It's an offense to our pride. Because as we look at the Lord Jesus hung there for us, we are seeing what it took to bring people like you and me to God. See, the cross declares to us that you and me cannot do it ourselves. And that is offensive, as well as being great news. And Paul says, don't be surprised when you get 
the kind of mocking. Don't be surprised when it feels difficult, when uh, there's the antagonistic uh, response. Now, Paul's not saying there that we do a kind of Sarah, that we kick people out the door uh, every time we get a bit of opposition. But he is saying, don't listen to people who take you away from the gospel. Remember chapter 1, verse 8, he said that even if an angel declared a different gospel, you're to blow a raspberry. That's not what he said, but you're to ignore them. And remember, this isn't Paul kind of who loves division. Remember, he wrote 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. And yet, he knows that this issue is important enough to divide over. I know we don't like a fuss. I don't like a fuss. No one likes a fuss. And it is easier to kind of let people get on with it, let the status quo continue. But actually, if we understand what it is to step outside of Jesus, that slavery results, well then, of course we want to make a fuss. And if we know that actually by trusting in the Lord Jesus, we find freedom, well then, of course we want to make a fuss. I'm glad here at St. Mary's our instinct is to hold on to the gospel, but we shouldn't take that for granted, should we? We want to stand firm on that and keep that going. It means we want to stand firm for it in the wider church as well. See, Galatians reminds us that even the best of churches can wobble and get things wrong. And the question Paul asks for us in chapter 1, verse 5, uh, he tells us to stand firm. And the question that raises is, is this something we care about enough to stand firm? Is this something we want to declare to the people we mix with on Monday morning? Is this something we take seriously enough in our own hearts to tell ourselves day by day? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, so much that in the Lord Jesus we can find freedom. We pray, Father, that you would write that truth on our hearts so we would be those who stand firm on it. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to come to our Q&A time now. It's so great to see that so many people have been engaging with the Q&A and answering questions and voting up the questions. It's brilliant. Thanks so much for those. Um, So, Rob, let's start at the top, shall we? So uh, what happened to Ishmael and his descendants? Were they cursed in slavery forever? Thank you for asking that. Um, No. Uh, So there's a great little detail um, in chapter 21 of Genesis uh, basically, they are cast out, um, but God actually takes pity on them. So uh, I'll just read a little bit. Um, basically, Hagar goes out. She realizes she can't feed or uh, provide drink for her son and puts him off like, to the side and starts crying. And in verse 20, uh, tw- chapter 21 of Genesis, verse 17, God heard the boy crying. The angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, what's the matter? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying and lying. Um, uh, lift up, uh, sorry, sorry, verse 19. Then, the God, uh, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and so she filled her skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Um, so basically, um, it's a nice little detail that because um, actually God does care for this cast out person. But that's not really what Paul's point is here. So he's not saying, okay, it's really good with the promise, but you know, they got half the stuff. Um, by Hagar. It wasn't great to be a slave, and it wasn't great to be cast out, despite God caring for her. So God was incredibly gracious, but that's not kind of Paul's point. His point is, don't, don't, yeah, don't go down that route, uh, because it was outside God's people. 
Great, thank you. Another about Hagar. How can Hagar represent Mount Sinai when the law hasn't been given at that point? Yeah, really good question. So, um, and it kind of, do you want to ask me that question about the figuratively thing? Uh, yeah, apparently, yes, I would like to ask you the question. Would you want to ask me that so, first? Because okay, so, then I think that right. might just help us. Okay. <laughs> so, verse 24. Thank you. These things are to be taken figuratively. So, is Paul just using what happened with Abraham as an example, or has Paul just found and explained the real reason God decided to do what he did? Yeah, thank you. Sorry, I don't mean to boss you around. Um, I just thought, actually, this, this might help doing it in this order. So, verse 24, these things may be taken figuratively, literally the words allegory, um, and there is so much kind of, this is the only point allegories used in the New Testament, there's so much discussion about what Paul precisely means. Does he mean kind of, it's a kind of um, what we might call an illustration. So remember I talked about my son using the, the drill and I kind of said it's a bit like that when it comes to what Abraham did. Is it kind of using that? Um, I think uh, what he's doing is saying here's a kind of illustration but actually it's grounded in what actually happens. So it's not a kind of random I'm going to pick out two people in the Bible. He has, he's, he's, he's chosen well because he has chosen um, two ways of getting God's promise. So what was the question again? Because I feel I'm rambling. Which, which one? The figuratively one? Yeah. Um, is Paul just using what happened with Abraham as an example, or has Paul just found and explained the real reason God decided to do what he did? Yeah, so both. It is an example, but actually something far greater is going on as well, because actually you realize this is a pattern. Whenever we try and get what God promises our way, actually it's disaster. And that pattern happens time and time again throughout the Bible. Great. Thank you. Now, um, if the Bible says that we're saved by faith in Jesus and not by works... Oh, you didn't ask me that question. No, I, got I didn't. Out. The one you That's said fine. you wanted to Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Honestly, you go out talking this <laughs> song. Pointless. Absolutely <laughs> pointless. Right. Okay. Do you want me to ask the other one now? Yes, please. That'd All be right. great. Thank so, you. <laughs> okay. What happened to Ishmael and his descendants? We know we have that one. Um, how did Abraham retain credibility with God and the people, having committed adultery with Hagar? Is that the one you want now? No. No? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Brilliant. Do you want to see them? Uh, you can decide sure you want to answer now. Yes. How can Hagar represent Mount Sinai before the law was given? Yeah, so oh, Paul, that one. Sorry. Yes. yes no, that that's fine. So Paul's saying the way um, Mount Sinai represents Moses, represents the law, and uh, forgive me if this is a you know, brain fry, this is getting really, it does get very complicated here. But basically he's saying um, that's kind of going on today. As people are hearing God's law and not letting it point to Jesus, but actually thinking they can achieve things themselves, actually he's saying that same pattern is repeating itself. So just as Abraham and Sarah wanted to speed things up, just as um, Israel, for the most part, had heard the law and thought, we can do this, we can um, earn our way to God, just as we today still go, actually it's about going to church, it's about doing lots of things, that same pattern repeats itself. So Paul's using an example to say, actually, here's, here's what's going on. Great, thank you. And so the flip side of that is that if it, we're not saved by what we do, does what we do matter? Which leads on to the next question. Thank if you. the Bible says we're saved by faith in Jesus and not by works, does that mean we can live the way we want, even if it's against God's will or plan, as we'll be forgiven anyway? Come back next week. Chapter 5, okay. <laughs> Sorry. All righty. Are we done? I think we're done. No, there was one more oh, well, question. There was one more. Right. Sorry. I'm confused Sorry. now. Yes. Um, there is a verse in here about Honestly, bearing with one another. Can't get this um, down. <laughs> Sorry. Um, 
Yeah, how did Abraham, you could ask How did Abraham retain credibility with God, that one, and the people having committed adultery with Hagar? Yeah, that's a really good question because you think, um, so he didn't quite commit adultery. He did marry her, um, and you may have lots of questions about that, uh, but it still wasn't great, is it? Um, and it's interesting because in Romans 4, Paul uses Abraham as an example of faith, and you think, what? <laughs> because he had so many wobbles, uh, so many kind of um, things he did wrong. Um, but do you know what? That's actually an encouragement uh, because actually it really is not by Abraham's works that he was chosen by God. It was God's promise to bless him. Uh, lots of people think that the Bible is about all these people that were superstars and did a great job. People like Abraham weren't, but he did one thing, which was t- trust God at his uh, word. And actually that faith for the large part looked quite wobbly Uh, It looked like he'd made a lot of mistakes. Uh, But actually, the point was that God had chosen to bless the world through him. uh, And that's what counted. Great. Thanks. Yeah. I think we see that all the way through the Bible, don't we? All the people of... Sorry. No, thank you. Um, (laughs) But all the people we think are great in the Old Testament actually are just people. And they all stuff up and do wrong things. And actually, the only one who lived God's way uh, was the Lord Jesus. But um, yeah, that's great.